my dance journey started as a b-boy uh i was with my friends and we learned basically mostly in middle school actually my cousin was the first one who taught me top rock you know footwork and whatnot and um kind of got carried on into high school where i was doing more hip-hop dancing and stuff like that and then also started to do more freestyling as we called it back then um this was influenced by mop top um watching the wrecking shop documentary on pbs and then also too actually um black ips like their early 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 albums they were just dancers in the club as well so going into college um i got back into b-boying and then also started to do you know mix that with a lot of my freestyle dancing and then also moved into uh doing choreo i was in a, a dance company called funkonometry and so during all these different types of uh avenues of dance i always would gravitate to the people that really thought deeply about street dance whether it was you know locking or popping or house or anything like that and i liked having deeper conversations uh, with people that you know took dance as seriously as i did but then also could have an intelligent conversation about that when i moved to new york i found a plethora of people like that and um i learned house um and that was the pretty much the main thing i was doing for a long time but i had many uh, conversations with elders people of my generation people below me and people uh, uh, far above me um just about dance in general and how it affected you know culture black culture in general you know other cultures as well as they started to learn it as well so i ran across a lot of dance nerds and these dance nerds are people like myself that you know could have these longer deep conversations just about dance and you know a lot of times it was at four or five o'clock in the morning on a tuesday we all had work the next day but you know we still wanted to get our point across and so this conversation that i have with uh be polite and byron cox is one of those conversations and we kind of join in a little bit mid conversation but this is the type of conversations that we would have where we would just basically talk about you know how dance you know black culture and all of it kind of melds together and you know a lot of black people don't know the types of style of dances that we've you know been a part of or are privy to when you know in the clubs in new york city or even you know international but then also too we say how important it is for um black culture to understand and almost like reclaim you know the contributions that we've given to a lot of these dances because sometimes that gets lost a little bit especially with the rise of tiktok and everyone doing kind of like really smaller um pieces of dances as opposed to learning full styles so this conversation was really really fun we we, we really nerded out if you're into dance and you want to have kind of a peek into three black guys just talking about street dance this is your chance um i want to have more conversations like this and probably even do a live stream or something to that effect so people can kind of call in and have more interactions but this is something that i really really enjoyed and i hope you enjoy too so without further ado this is my friends are fresh with byron cox and be polite you gotta remember one thing too is in the black community you still gotta be good <laughs> like you can say good stuff but you still gotta be good like that's kind of like the baseline you know you go up you go up to the apollo show you go up there you gotta look, yeah you gotta be look corny but show and prove we'll give you the opportunity to to show that you got the goods i think that's exclusive to the black community because i i found in other communities that's important but not as much as the actual conversation and so then it's good and bad because then you can hear some really good stuff that might push you know the overall scene to a good place but unfortunately like you said if the person is a good community organizer but an okay dancer then they're just a community organizer that likes dance but if they're a dope dancer and they're a community organizer for the black community we're like okay let's go but unfortunately I don't see that as much in other communities. And I think sometimes that's to our detriment and sometimes to their detriment. But I see the 
other communities will like push forward a little bit more because they're less um, dogmatic about, you know, like I said, you got to be good. And I think that dilutes a lot of the like, like you were talking about something like the scene. Like, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of great dancers out there. There's a lot of people that are kind of pushing the envelope. But at the same time, is there anyone that's getting you excited about dance where I'm like, oh, man, you're a dope dancer and you're a dope person or like, oh, you're a dope person. Oh, you like dance. It's cute. <laughs> yeah, because. Okay, so when you talk about value or you talk about value of businesses or whatever, it's about how you're building out value. It, it isn't that, you know, this is cool or I've just made it or you've just gotten the rights of passage. In a business, you have the rights of passage once you're allowed to be a business and it ends there. The handholding ends there. Now, if you want market share, you have to be able to show a growth plan and an ability to continue to grow the value of your brand, grow the value of everything. Now, if you make two bucks yesterday and you make two bucks the year again, and you make two bucks the following year, we're also not really listening to you because there's a sort of a planned obsolescence built in as well. So if your efforts should be creating opportunity and that should be compounding value, et cetera, et cetera. Inside of our community right now, and if I'm say, for example, the United States, um, there are emerging art forms Right, we took at Crump. We can look at uh, uh, Louisiana Bounce. We can look at um, Clowning's coming back. Oh, that's right. Um, well, life. Well, okay, yeah. I mean, oh, life is old word. to me now, but <laughs> yeah, it's old. But it's new. Word. Yeah, my feet. Right. right. Well, but I, I, I want to talk about out. But okay, look, like, go, go, exactly, go. life feet and flex have been around, but life is getting a spotlight now. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's the other. It's been around, but life feet's getting a spotlight now. You know, mm-hmm. right, right, and I but, think that's the so, thing too. So, is like, we gotta remember too. There's whose two, light is it now? So that's what I'm gonna say. So there's two. There's, I think the most interesting aspect of it is understanding because um, I saw a post by I think it was I think it was Hurricane, and he was talking about um, we should retire the term old school, and um, and he had like kind of his reasonings for it, and I was like, okay, cool, this is like a solid reasoning. But like my response was like, cool, uh, you might want to. Uh, you know, email, fax, and text that to all black people in America, and then thanks. <laughs> because the people that actually perpetuate the types of terms are us. And if we, uh, as a whole, and this is all of us, not this is dancers, yep. non-dancers, all that, we're, if we are the ones that push the zeitgeist of like culture and like what's cool and all that, so you ha- you really do have to start with us. You know, you just talking to your echo chamber of majority non-black people saying, hey, you guys shouldn't use old school. They're like, but black people use old school. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> And so it's so back with the light feed thing. It's kind of that like life feed's exactly. getting it shine now outside of the black community. I mean, outside of the dance community that it is. So now you have the quote unquote average black person be like, Oh, what's that? That looks cool. I think I can do that on TikTok. <laughs> but are we finding, because right. okay, let's, life is, is a good example. I think the, oh, go ahead, Brian. Go ahead, Brian. Go ahead, go ahead Brian. Well, one of the different the differentiation is light feet. The community is millennial and and Gen Z at its core. So technologically savvy, like they've been documenting at least since two thousand eight, two thousand nine. 
Like one of the worst catastrophes was that somebody's YouTube channel got hacked and they lost all the videos as a result. That was considered like, that's like community lore about the loss of all that information. So they've been documenting themselves damn near since their beginning. So, and they're active online. So if you start talking crazy, like folks will swarm your Instagram. They will come up on your page and, and come for you quick. Like they like they, they will find you and you'll get like 30, 40 people all up in your DMs, you know, calling you all kinds of everything but a child of God. So like they, they are super active and on it. And another things that they've at least managed, they've happened to manage is that they've been able to manage their narrative to where whoever is prominent will constantly shout out, oh, this is who I got from. Oh, this is this step. It came from these guys from this borough. Oh, this is this thing. This started with this guy. Here's Mr. YouTube. Oh, this is, this is like, they, they're up on keeping everybody's name in the, in the narrative. So you have to work a lot harder. It's not like with our generation where some of us are in with the technology, some of us aren't, but we have to defer to, you know, two generations above us regarding what can or can't be said or done, or that we're still discovering people who are in it that disappeared for 15 years and they pop back up out of nowhere. Like they've kind of went to everything. So if you come from the outside trying to say something left, you know, it will explode. It, even folks that are retired from the scene will come back in and be like, no, nah, I was there. And I remember before I left out, this is what was really happening. I don't know who that is. <laughs> you know, like their affiliations are strong. So they are different. They're a different case. Like they're hyperactive online. Which is pretty dope, actually. I mean, and honestly, that's how it should be. At least you can have some type of accountability, some type of baseline for story lore, if you want to put it that way, where the other, you know, styles and different stuff are... Hmm. Ups and downs in terms of what they how, how they chronicalize everything. So to Byron's point, yeah, I mean, it's, with that with that being said, you know, if we take it from more of like I grew up in Bay Area, I grew up around mostly uh, Asian Americans of all all different types of Southeast Asians, um, and then I've traveled down to Southern California. I perform in a lot of like more of the choreo scene out here, where they have large competitions and you know big groups of like twenty to thirty people and that kind of stuff. Um, so that was like that was the scene that I was kind of. Plus, I was a b boy out here, and that kind of scene. And then moving to New York, that's when it was uh, kind of like you know, like Gracie learned about the house scene and all the other dances that were um, uh, you know cultural black dances that I had heard about, seen about, but never actually experienced black people doing it. <laughs> so that was cool. I'm like, oh, black people like house. That's weird. <laughs> but that shouldn't be weird. But in my <laughs> mentality and a lot of other people, you know, I didn't understand or didn't, was not exposed to it. So it was great to live in New York to see that firsthand. And then that's when I started to see, oh, okay. All of our issues that we have in dance also stem from a lot of black cultural issues that we already have that kind of got spilt over into our creations, if you want to put that way and each culture and each uh community kind of deals with it different but not a lot of them are just now really understanding that a lot of this comes from black culture and so they're kind of struggling with that aspect of like you know and and a lot of people are getting called out on it you know the black experience is getting pulled from a lot of our black dances 
And that's partly their fault. That's partly our fault, but I'm not even sure how that could even get <laughs> rectified. Well, I think we have a lot that stems that really, you know, there are a lot of much more difficult questions to be asked. And unfortunately I, I, I don't, I don't see people taking the time to really work on the harder, harder aspects in my opinion. Right. So one, um, throughout the African diaspora, there's been a rites of passage for a community. And I think Harris one is the one that is hip hop is something that you live. It's not something that you do. So, um, in the modern era, Okay. Um, it's just as easy to repost a song to, you know, TikTok a video dancing over, you know, um, a song or a dance or whatever that may have cultural significance to a, a special community, so on and so forth. Um, documentation is there. Accountability is managed by those with power. And the black community has a voice. Yes. Okay. Um, but if we can take the light feed example, um, when it was quote unquote, our thing, we were, I know, at least for me watching it, coming out to union square, seeing guys get down, really enjoying team rocket and the guys, I love seeing things that were very familiar to me, which was, yeah, you're good, but yeah, I see what you're doing. And you know what, how about this? Right. Very on the, on the edge. Okay. And it was uninterrupted. Most people just didn't understand it at all. And as such, this couldn't interrupt it. Now we're in a scenario where people are starting to glean. Okay. So first, actually the first exploitation to me of light feet was the music. People all around the world were using light feet music and doing all kinds of whatever to it. <laughs> and they were remixing it, they were selling mixtapes, they were doing things. Yeah, or Jersey Club too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which again, I didn't understand what Jersey so they, Club was. They ran, like they, the they, did, they ran through their whole thing. Jersey Club, was, Baltimore Club, yeah. Deep House, you know, we've seen this. Uh, DC Go-Go, you mm -hmm. know, it's... it's uh, the exploitation of the music is there now when coming back to the dance, especially. So then eventually, and it's, it's, a, it's a lot of years later, we start seeing um, some of the people uh, being brought to Denmark or people from Denmark coming to pick up this and that the UK starting a light feed or group um, other people taking workshops or doing workshops mm -hmm. at some of these larger events, uh, cry baby cozy, being able to travel, Finally. Um, cool. Are all the people that we are currently seeing who have the highest volume and who are now um, pushing the narrative of light feet, are they the community? And as such, have they gone through what is necessary to be a representative of that community? Um in my opinion, if we're talking about the gravitas of the dance and why it exists, currently we find people who do enough to say that they have done light feet and then they have time and excess resources to do everything else. Now that gets them a voice and a platform to suddenly talk black. 
And I have concerns about that. Yeah. I'm concerned about how cheap that is. Yeah. I think that's the, that's that part where the, the like it's starting to happen. Yeah. But go ahead, Brian. Yeah, that's, thing the, is that's uh, starting to happen because most of the prime movers are still very much from, you know, the New York City metro area. But there are starting to be people in other cities that are claiming affiliations. Notice the phrasing, the particularity of claiming affiliations with Lightfeet for a number of years. Um, so that becomes problematic when you don't remember seeing them in a video or hearing about them or catching them at union square or somewhere else in the street, you know? And then, so I think they're, they're at the cusp of that, which God help us. I hope that they learned from house. I really want to believe that, that, that somebody talked some sense into them and they'd learned from our mistakes. Now, what are I, those mistakes? Are you I tell the cast to, all the time, right? like, <laughs> All right, so we're laughing. One of the mistakes is believing. Go ahead, go ahead. Right. No, but one one of those mistakes is one is not keeping the the folklore tight amongst the community itself. Two is not being very explicit about teaching that folklore and that history, and learning how it connects beyond just the small dance community itself but teaching it to anybody who comes from wherever they come from to learn it. Like those are the two major ones, because by the time people get to the space where they start figuring out, Oh wait, there's more to just the lore of my dance style than just, you know, this pocket of 200 people in this one city, you know, and it actually has larger implications and connections to it that, only I can speak about because of my experience, but that I have to do a little bit of study to see exactly how much deeper it goes to be able to contextualize it. By the time that happens, usually, you know, animals out the cage and it's running around, you know, shitting on the furniture and like, you know, and biting the guest. Yeah. And so that that aspect of it. Yeah. And I think that's the part where, you know, that was the part that frustrated me the most about uh, learning house from like topped from beyond just like, Hey, I learned some steps in the club to like, you know, how it developed the people that are involved in it. The, the, uh, you know, like I said, customs, the greetings, the dancing with each other, the like all these types of things, all these things that I would never know if I was in California, like I had to be in New York to be and experience this. Um, I think the part that was always frustrating was like, okay, by the people that were we'll say elders of this uh particular dance it was very just all over the place and haphazardly of how the a lot of these customs and things should be taught going forward so because of that you had you know pretty much anybody coming in and be like oh i just learned from i took two classes from byron now i'm a teach uh, house dance in estonia <laughs> And uh, now I'm an expert or same thing. I would tell uh, one of the things I used to tell uh, cricket um, all the time. I'm like, yo, if I was an asshole, I would just bounce from New York, go to California. Like I'm a black guy that lived in Brooklyn for six months and I know house dance. I'm teaching everyone. (laughs) And just 
And now, like, what else? What is it? What is anyone else going to say? And like, whether I'm doing I it mean, right, whether it's happened, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think that aspect of not having, like, well, I wish it house, happened in Russia. Yeah. Well, there you go. But I wish. I wouldn't even say just house. I wish street dance actually took cues from how um, the organization of like Zumba and like, like Zumba is horrible. It's, it just literally chops all of the, uh, these different cultural dances and puts into a big mush, but they make it accessible and palatable for the average person. Right. But Zumba has a whole thing. You have to go to classes. You have to take a test. You have to get certification. You have to get recertificated every year. Like they have a whole thing where like, if you're not using specific music, you're not teaching Zumba. So like it's broken down with that level of like specificity and it is like street dances need to be like that, but there should be some type of, thing where they could break it down where like yo this is what it is and this is what it isn't and a lot of times there's not you don't see that byron you're gonna say something well creation and fortification yeah creation and fortification are sort of i think one of the challenges that we've had in 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 general in the black community um we we have we have an ability to to start to create um or speak to okay speak to certain times and situations um vividly right um crump spoke to um that generation and and uh, what we were going going through as black people at the time and to me in my opinion it was also the antithesis of other dance styles that had flattened due to their inability to continuously come back to demonstrating aspects of the community so now Crumb has its own barrier of entry. It has its tradition. And for Crump, unlike many dancers that came before it recently, we'll say, you know if you're in or out. And there's a very thick line between doing some Crump moves and being Crump. And you need to be mindful of where you land. Now, Crump will allow you to use Crump steps in a choreo, but you're not Crump, you're not Buck. And um, its leadership have held that line no matter what they've done and have demonstrated that um, at, at, at a point of risk, we'll say, okay, um, continuously. So I'm saying that tie-dyes, for example, in Mio. Tidez and Mio um, entered, um, well, Tidez himself has have been to France a number of times, has been battling freestyle dancers and other people who started to use aspects of, of, of crump in their dances, but in a sort of a watered down way, similar to what you saw with Lightfeet. Well, he showed up there and the crump community in France backed him and it was this massive war between him and the new rising star in hip hop. And tie dyes went after him directly, period, point blank. And it caused a ripple and a debate of, well, oh, we are dancing. And so as dancers, we get to just kinda and me. And the Crump community says, nah, Crump is this. You have to have this. You have to go hard like this. If you are unwilling to go hard like this, then we will show up at your door every single time. And if not tie-dyes, then anybody who follows that moniker will be at your doorstep. So that sounds like um, Slip Dog. Two years ago, there was 
No, because Slick Dog, unfortunately, doesn't have the skill. Now, Slick Dog has the marketing and he has the music, but, mm. and there are people who follow Slick Dog who definitely have the skills and the conversation needs to be had. I will say, Slick Dog did bring the conversation to the fore, mm. but people like Fish have the skills. I'm saying people like uh, Venom have the skills. True. Wait, and for context, Slick Dog what from... From uh, what's we got, Popper Slip Dog. There's only one Slip Dog that I know of. There's another. Slip All right, dog. let me know. Just make sure. God help me. Because you know, you gotta remember. Yeah, Slip Dog. Yeah, Slip Dog. Oh, right. Okay, good point. So Slip Dog, um, old school Popper, or not a, but like Popper, beyond veteran status, um, that has a reputation outside of popping for rolling up on people for not being official in what they're teaching or what they're demonstrating and calling it popping. Like I don't pop. I know people who pop. I don't pop. How do I know about <laughs> the cat that shows up at folks classes and demos and challenges a teacher on some Bruce Lee stuff <laughs> at their, at their workshop? Mm, like mm, mm. granted, it's not, a, it's not a tact that I would take, but there is a certain thing where I have to admire someone whose dedication to a cause is such where they will actually show up and be like, what is this you're teaching the kids? This is not correct. You know, like it's, it's a super fine line. That part. I definitely, that yeah. part I do, I guess what got me about slick dog is he made a lot of music and he was actually known more for his music for a long time. Right. Mm. And there are other people um, who, had been continuously dancing during the time for which we had not seen Slick Dog, even if we'd heard him in music. So the huge debate, because uh, I was there as just a boo when Slick Dog showed up with all the guys in black shirts. And so, uh, um, so Slick, yes. There has to be a conversation about Boogaloo. Uh, for myself personally, I remember you know, 12, 15 years of, of boogieing that I'm comfortable with saying that I participated in because it was enjoyable and that's what was a part of my years. Um, in Boogaloo, West Coast style, I didn't see a whole lot of things, especially electro music. I didn't see that kind of um, creativity, that kind of expression in the way that I would see it on the East Coast. So, Slick Dog saying that, yes, there's something other than Boogaloo in popping. Yes, that conversation is definitely necessary. Now, how do we go about that? And how do we hold ourselves and our community accountable about this dance conversation? One, um, we've got to stop leaving and coming back, period. Because Poppin' Pete has been here and been here and been here. And you can't take yeah. that from him. Yeah. But in our community, that has been a challenge because once it's not hot, there have been people who have sort of left it be. And then it, when the marketability or the rise or an opportunity presents itself again, like there's now a platform like it's just a or whatever, now we have opinions. Yeah. That doesn't at the end of the day, bode well for how our community is by way of its consistency and the fortification aspect, not the creation. Yeah. 
And you have to also remember too is, you know, the a great experience was working at BET while I was going to like the 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 house clubs and, and the parties and Soul Summit and all that kind of stuff. Oh wow! And it was such an interesting uh, thing because you know I would be at work and you know uh, and. To BET's credit, I would say 75, 80% of the people there are black. There was also a smattering of everything else, mostly women as well, actually. Um, but it was interesting to kind of hear where they were thinking about certain aspects of blackness, right? So, you know, they knew that black people listen to house and black and there are, but they looked at that as an older generation thing. And then to to that credit, when I would go to a Soul Summit, Soul Summit's a party in Brooklyn, um, in Fort Greene, it's an outdoor uh, situation. It was actually one of my favorite places because it was literally everyone would just come dance from sunup to sundown, basically. But um, it was an amazing mm-hmm. experience to, to kind of partake in because it was uh, black, white, Asian, Latino, older black people. And like these are the people that you could tell were in the clubs back in those 70s and the early 80s. But everybody was just dancing together. and It was really awesome. So when I would go to those parties, the only black people I would see from work were literally all the executives. <laughs> so I would and they're all in their 50s. And, but it makes sense because that's the. That was their club, like that was yeah. generation. So I would see, you know, yeah. um, the creative directors and the um, and they would be out there partying. I would like we have drinks and we, ch- you know, chit chatting. But it was an interesting thing where the younger generation at BET they didn't really have any concept of what Soul Summit or that even scene was because they were removed from that black experience. Now their black experience is more going to forty four going to, you know, whatever club and listening to the current state of rap and all that. So there was a disconnect from that. So me as a, uh, as a house dancer during this time, you know, I'm around, always around like a lot of black people doing, you know, doing all this stuff. And then when I'm talking to my experience, when I'm at BT, they're like, wait, you dance like you like a stripper or something. <laughs> but that was their context of dancing. Unless they were, yeah. But it was, it, yeah. it, it was eye opening because I didn't really think of it in that context. And then they started to see the different types of black people, you know, cause you know, we all know we're not a monolith, but there's definitely a, a very big uh, schism between, you know, the hip hop rooted um, uh, of black folks and then folks that are hip hop adjacent. So, you know, one of the best conversations or one of the most interesting mm. conversations I had was, you know, they have the hip hop awards, quote unquote. And this is basically the old source awards. They recoined it as the hip hop awards, it's rappers, blah, blah, blah. So it was interesting to hear how they looked at hip hop because they looked at it from a very rap only kind of specific thing. And if it wasn't just rap, it would be like the generic, you know, fat laces and pumas or whatever, graffiti. Like they didn't have any concept mm. of the kind of stuff. And so when I was explaining to them uh, an event like Just Taboo that's, you know, in Germany is from you know, people from all around the world, different styles of dance, different things. And they're just like, wait, what? <laughs> and I was like, saying, I'm like, OK, so you wouldn't know this because, yeah. you know, this not thing, but this is happening. Like hip hop is it's such a huge thing that it's not just rap. Like I could care, like care less about Jay-Z when I'm over here experiencing, a, you know, one of the best dancers in the United States, in, in the world at a small club in Brooklyn and it's like 2 a.m. in the morning. Like that's a better experience than going to a Jay-Z concert with 40,000 people that just like his music, you know? Yeah, but that's also, part of that also stems from the media. That's just true too. Sorry, um, part of that also stems from the media and and, and how much of it we actually own. And then how much of that media, that whether or not we own it, who is it actually for? Because one of the one of the things that that 
shifted in hip hop specifically that people don't like talking about is that around 91, 92, the majority of hip hop music was being concerned by white people in the suburbs. And that, that, that switch over then becomes, if they become the dominant market share, then they, you know, capitalize. Now you become commodification, you know, capitalism and culture, and you throw the three of them in a cage match, let them fight it out for dominance. <laughs> so, okay, this is a culture, but you know, the shareholders are saying we need to make that profit for the next quarter, and these are the people who are actually buying the records. You need yep. these folks over here because you want the authenticity, but you need these folks over here because they're the ones that are paying the bills and, and that this is who it's being marketed to now. And that starts warping the culture because of, you know, as a generation, particularly our generation, we saw ourselves through the lens of hip hop. Like the hip hop was our mirror. And even at the point where it stopped really reflecting exactly who we are, a lot of folks still believed that it was the mirror. So we took cues from it, thinking that it was authentically who we are. And so that did warp the culture. And, and you know, there's, there's a thing to be said where everything is, you know, the people are screaming the most about keep it real during a point when all the small indie labels are being bought up by large conglomerates. Like those two things happen simultaneously. Everyone talking about like, yeah, keeping it real. Yeah, this is real. This is the street. Son, you signed to Jive Records. What are you talking <laughs> about? You signed to Arista. What are you talking about? You got your own label, but your distribution's through Universal. So what are you talking about? You know, it's like, you know, you're, you're being corporate masters and they're, they're voting with their dollars in terms of who wins. Mm, mm. And if we turn that to if we turn that to our to our dance brands, right? Um, currently, there are very very few. Okay, we say let's say Cape Town International, World of Dance. If we're talking about the United States, um, Pioneer, Steezy, um, Red Bull, Monster. Okay, that pretty much rounds it out. You know, like you may have a, an event here or there, but those things are events. They're not brands. They don't, they don't, they don't carry much more weight outside of the event directly. So their ability to um, sustain and push narrative is marginalized as of right now. Now, if they grow further than the event itself, then maybe eventually they will. But as of right now, um, especially world of dance, hip hop international, hopefully eventually, um, we need growth. Steezy, I think, is an online presence. We'll say um, these are these are the the stalwarts of sort of this hip hop dance. Now, accountability, relationship, etc., to uh, us, to the form, and to its um, growth, preservation, and lack of exploitation. It's a tough one, um, but I think it's tough for reasons that are not popular. One, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to do these dances and understand them and understand their complexities, uh, understand their relationships to the people, to the origins, and to the stories that they're manifesting requires a lot of time and a lot of failure. You'll try this, you'll try to understand that, and you'll be wrong constantly until eventually you are right. 
it requires the community to say, yes, you've finally gotten it. And it's not the first day. It's usually not the first year of anything. Right. Um, and this is where culture, art, and entertainment separate. And speaking to, again, how the record industry and how our music was exploited in the past, well, the art and the culture were closely tied because the art represented uh, cultural paradigms. But it was also entertaining to people who had never seen anybody spin on their back or make a bunch of words rhyme or say some of the themes that make their parents angry. So when in 91, especially after self-destruction and when NWA and, and, and other groups said other types of things, well, a lot of parents, a lot of kids use that to show defiance to their parents, not to necessarily help or be involved in preventing police violence into stopping the drug game, to, into stopping the drug war, excuse me, into um, giving us our 40 acres and a mule. No. They were entertained by the fact that people use bad language. They were entertained by the fact that the S1Ws were marching. They were entertained by the fact that they had seen movements, gyrations, and other things that were not native to their communities. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. And right now, including now, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing the responsibility for it. And I'm not seeing the accountability for making the proper connections and working our way through the difficulty of understanding and demonstrating an understanding of those particular aspects. So what you're so, doing now is it's entertainment now. Yeah. Right now you're and, taking some moves from that, from that culture and you're putting it together in a choreo, you're throwing it online and you're charging for classes to repeat those moves. Yeah. That's entertainment. Entertainment doesn't necessarily, entertainment is not necessarily art and as such does not necessarily represent culture. And if it doesn't represent culture, the benefactors who need those things to be, those, an, those questions to be answered as to why the art came up in the first place are not having their answers. They're having, they're, they're essentially being exploited. Yeah. And I think the, the, Unfortunately, I was trying to explain this to um, my friend that's not a dancer. And so they asked me, they're like, okay, when you see someone move, how can you tell if they're good or not? Right. And I was kind of like, well, you can be, let's be very simple. Are they on beat? <laughs> you know, that could be a, that could be a marker. I'm not saying that's the only one, but that could be one. And so, but they, they asked, they were getting deeper. They're like, all right. So like, you know, how long does it take you to, to see if someone as they're moving, whatever movement it is, do you think that in your opinion, that person's good? I'm like, I don't know, like four seconds, five seconds. <laughs> but that's because the learned experience of, you know, dancing and being around dancers and all that, you can kind of see that with it. Unfortunately, we're living in a time where like, there's not that many dance nerds anymore. Like there's a lot more on that entertainment aspect of it. And so it's like, and again, that's a part of it. But unfortunately now that's almost all of it where before you had the dance nerds you had your elders you had people that are just i'm just doing it for fitness and that kind of stuff and it broke it kind of broke it up but i think now the advent of technology has kind of made it into a point where it's you know the entertainment value is actually like larger and overtaking a lot of the cultural aspects of it and so uh we're kind of now as black in the black community we're kind of like um behind in terms of like trying to corral it like no 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 wait wait this is this is that's not really what it is like okay that's cool that you're doing it for fun but then you have to also know that this came from the pain and struggle of getting beat down in new york in 1970 <laughs> and try to explain that while people are right. over here just finish it <laughs> 
<laughs> go ahead, Brian. Well, the other thing, uh, but also, yeah, go ahead. But, uh, well, go ahead, Brian, please. Oh, no, I mean, it's just a quick oh, little okay. thing. And, and coming back to what Cam, what Cam had said earlier um, and why I have my concerns. You know, the clubs for which has been sort of um, the growth, uh, the fertile soil for a lot of, um, for example, house dance and many other dances. Let's truly have a hard look at what that is. These are venues that serve alcohol for which people show up and hang out for a number of reasons. Okay. Whether it's celebration or loss or hurt or good or bad or indifferent, lonely, not lonely, there is a place that they can come and exercise that, deal with that, and hopefully come out somewhat feeling, at least feeling better on the other side. But this is that place. Okay. Um, I wonder how um, that would look. Okay. The club bar. Hi. before you walk into this particular establishment, please show us your last thousand tweets. <laughs> because, and, 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 and the reason, I'm, to be honest, to be truly honest, okay, um, we've seen throughout, whether it be Disney or other, you know, classic love stories or whatever, where we've seen a, a, a turn, a change, a, a denouement, different times when people have had to face certain aspects of their life or lifestyle and make a change to adhere to a higher standard. There have been times when people have, you know, hit the wall. They go, they, they, they just had the force. They went to a bar. They had a few shots. They, they talked to that guy next to them who they maybe would never have talked to before, got it all out of their system, went home, picked up, went to work um, and, and started again. Now, are we saying now that in current society that that person should not have that access? Should they not have a place with dark lights and loud music and uh, an alcoholic beverage <laughs> for which they, they now have facilitated the ability to come out better on the other side? Should, should they have been perfect walking in, thus not having a need for tequila? I don't know. These are hard questions. These are the harder questions but i'll tell you this if there had not been that facility and those type of allowances i'm not sure what stories would have emerged the b-boy scene was gang warfare broken down into dance gangsters who had did really some of them had done really bad stuff okay and there had to be a point where we had said okay look you uprock, you do this, you do that, you play by these rules. And as far as this dance, as far as what you're doing, you have a ticket to walk in and do this dance. And for many, this changed their life because they became dancers. And the 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 use of the actionable, like, you know, fighting was the only way to express their frustration changed. But it needed a platform and an opportunity for that to change. Right now in a situation where many people are, uh, um, I don't know, like wanting to participate in hip hop, wanting to participate in the black struggle, wanting to participate, uh, wanting to be taken or wanting to be valued uh, for their skills, wanting to be valued for a number of things. Okay, cool. But do you recognize that the culture that you're borrowing from made its way in imperfect terms, made its way during, in challenge. Whereas this 
outside viewpoint placed on our culture says that no that's not how it works okay everything is laid out like this we interviewed you you are qualified because of x y and z you have to serve certificate based on you know an academic standard and thus you are qualified to be and it makes you a good person it makes you a, a proper representative of this particular aspect of culture i'm gonna say no um when the ballet system is used to teach street dance it has always been a bit of something missing when but oftentimes ballet and other other institutions love to have hip-hop or other ethnic dances as a part of their productions yeah makes them feel cool why has a whole host of right but the fact of the matter is they're not asking are not necessarily even wanting wanting these street dancers to ballet it up yeah generally speaking especially now they're asking for something of that experience but that experience comes out of a certain environment and a prior environment that we do not currently appreciate because we're applying standards for which they do not coincide I would say. Yeah. And then also, too, you have to remember, so, you know, you have to remember that folks are learning these dances in different contexts, too. So, like, you know, if I'm learning crumping, but I'm not from Southern California or from an area that kind of got a lot of that, like someone asked me, like, oh, do you know how to crump? I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm not really that angry, actually. <laughs> I don't have my, my anger is not going to be funneled through that specific thing. And they start laughing. But I'm like, that's not the, the crux of the whole dance. But there's a, a level of it that you're getting a, a lot of emotion out of through this particular dance. Kind of like with locking. Like, I was like, do you know how to lock? I'm like, I do know how to lock. Are you a locker? I'm like, eh, I'm not really that happy all the time. <laughs> but they started laughing. And they're like, why? Wow, you really tie emotion to the, the different types of dance styles. I'm like, yeah, you do. But if you do, if you just do that basic thing you'll have a better insight into different dances than if you're just like i'm just taking a class just to take class because i want to have fun or i want to have fitness and so because a lot of that um like nuance is actually hmm. taken out you know these a lot of these newer dancers they're not they don't have that they're not if you if you expose it to them then they're just like oh i didn't know that that's pretty cool and they'll want to learn more but their intention is different so when like they're coming in, just kind of like, oh, I do want to be famous or I do want to be on TikTok. Like, that's my intention of learning dance. Then once you expose other aspects, they're not, it's not like they reject it. It's just that that exposure is not there as much anymore. But uh, Brian, you said them? Well, who's the, they have, okay. yeah, they have a, well, there's a, there's a platform for it all now. Like mm-hmm. one of the, one of the things that, that specific to house, although you can really say it for all the street dance styles of the last 30, 40 years now is that outside of b-boying and, and, you know, and then I guess classic hip hop, you know, dance as well, like there weren't really platforms for the other styles. Like you, you know, there wasn't any, like I always say regarding house, like ain't nobody really driving Bentleys off of this, <laughs> you know? So th- if there wasn't money involved, it was, it was that people did it because they loved it, but you're spending money to be in a club four to five nights a week and be out dancing, you know, and then go to work dumb tired and do it again the next night because you love this thing, because you love the community, because you need it in your soul. That was what was driving things. I mean, even, you know, for, for as much, you know, controversy as people try to throw on, you know, mop tops and dance fusion about how they're doing this wrong or doing that wrong. Like they put their time in. 
And they were in the club nightly. They did it because they needed it in their souls. It filled something for them. They chose to take that and spread that around the world and say it's a good thing. That there was things that were lost in translation is really what we're talking about. And, and some of it has to do with not realizing that people don't think like how we think. Yes. A lot of times, um, you know, when I talk to people about um, what it means to teach the unteachable, you know, so like, like, like we will charter, that's like a, a governing doc that Afro Mosaic Soul, my crew has, like that I, you know, I sat down, took notes at a meeting back when we were forming the group, just as we came up with the name, out like a whole like manifesto mission statement about like, this is what we're about. And that came from trying to figure out like, how do you make sense of something that nobody, like, how do you teach the unteachable? How do you explain to somebody something that for most black people, you say like, you know, this is what dance in the black American community or the African diaspora comes from. These are the elements. This is how we understand it. This is what it's for in our life. These are the factors of it. This is why we value it. But how do you put that onto somebody who has, like, if you say, if I say to you guys, you got to feel the music, you know exactly what that is. I don't have to go any deeper into it. What does that mean for somebody that's not from here? What does that mean for somebody who is from here, but has grown up in a generation where jazz music and the, where jazz music and the idiom and the, and the linguistic, you know, as is a language that, that understanding of music and how movement and music inter, intersect. What does that mean for someone that doesn't grow up with that being a part of the music they listen to daily? Because we grew up with that. We grew up with jazz in everything, you know, in the samples in hip hop, in the way that, you know, people were vocalizing in R&B. So even if you didn't listen to jazz directly, you grew up listening to, to, to Marvin Gaye. There's jazz all in that. You, there was no mistake. You grew up into Anita Baker. There's jazz all in there. You know, like, so that, so that even to where the MCs from that time, their rhyming patterns were based on jazz rhythms. And you can hear it if you know how to read that. But what do you do when you come to a place where that is not something that you know how to read, where you're illiterate to that language? Yeah. And I think the, the other aspect so of can't being able to worry about someone can't, that's illiteracy. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, like I remember at one of the house dance sessions, um, there's a popular house dance session in New York City every Friday for what, 10 years, 12 years, 13. <laughs> um, but, you know, live DJ sometimes, DJs not. But anyways, wow. one of the best things about it was it was a very good mix of people that would come uh, black, white, Asian, Latino, white, whatever. But the music was always interesting because sometimes a DJ would play nothing but just soul classics, no house, nothing like that, but just like nice group type of music. All the black people were like, Hey, all the Asian people were like, huh? <laughs> and now, it, now that was the first time, but they started to see that like, Oh, I don't necessarily just have to dance to a particular type of music to move. And so when they started to observe, you know, and being around other black people that were like, Oh, 
they're having fun and still using utilizing some of the movements that I've learned to a different style of music, it opened up their mind a little bit. And so they they could experience that. And so I think the the biggest challenge for teaching is exactly what you said is how do you teach the, the, the totalitarian black experience in like 30 minutes or 45? And then honestly, you don't, you have to give them a little breadcrumbs and little pieces like when I was and I was lucky enough to teach house to people, a lot of times people would ask me like, oh, you're not doing a routine. You're not doing this. I'm like, nah, man, I'm not going to give you a whole sentence. If you don't even know your alphabet, like this don't make no sense. Like we we just do it. I was like, we're going to be in here for six weeks. We only do a basic so you can just move and understand and then slowly start to put things together and then encourage them to go to the club, encourage them to go to a session to kind of learn. And like, it's like this shouldn't be the only time you're dancing. This should just get you the little bit of the pieces that you can kind of learn. And then now go on your little corner you know put your thinking cap on and put those things together so i think trying to i think that's the part that we always fail on um and it's kind of our us we have to figure out what the best way to do that to kind of share our black experience but in a way that's palatable to like you said if some kid in kansas wants to learn how to uh house dance where does he go he goes to youtube he's not going to the club in new york city at 2 a.m on a tuesday (laughs) well that was the point of crucial sessions so For approximately 12 years, um, the House Dance Project uh, and HouseDancer.com and Crucial Sessions was all a project to stymie a uh, scenario that I kind of started seeing rise at a, you know, after post 9-11. And that was that retail space in New York City was being exploited. Um, as such, artistic spaces are spaces that we came to enjoy because they just were not considered like prime real estate um we're losing them left and right so a lot of the large clubs like the limelight and others had closed and we had uh, say retreated but had turned other spaces into spaces that we had known and loved and had participated in parties and kept the community going um well one where are the youth going to have an opportunity to experience these cult, these cultural paradigms where are they going to see like really really old black people hanging out with really really young like uh, you know fresh off of the the plain japanese people who came to the club and and were treated cool like and fairly and and we're dancing for eight 12 hours at a time purely dancing because you know as a hip-hop head who came into the house I had not really, really experienced anything like that. So I thought, you know, that seemed to be quite a paradigm. All right. Well, what I was saying to the non-ballet systematic way of teaching is, well, the reason for house to exist and the reason why some of these tenants could continuously grow is that they were manifesting as a community together and being and reinforcing those tenants constantly. So in your teaching or making that accessible to others, those tenants need to be, uh, I think, paid attention to. So part of that is one person cannot stand in front of a whole bunch of other people and represent a community. That will never work. They can show some steps and give you stories. But when you see a whole bunch of people who are not me participating in a conversation using a language, that's a very different thing than just, you know, again, seeing the word and trying to imitate the word as per me, because I am not house dance. I am a house dancer, which makes me a part of a community. So yes, in teaching or passing on this cultural paradigm, 
it can't be any one of us. It requires us to be having conversations together and then people seeing the commonalities and seeing the opportunities for uniqueness and seeing um, how these things have affected our multiple lives. Now with DCU, we've had a chance to literally have conversations where on a weekly basis, um, Brian, myself, uh, and a number of other uh, quintessential dancers who experienced um, this particular dance scene, um, oh, you're going to say from the late 90s up until now, um, we helped flesh out that timeline by talking together, reminiscing together, learning about each other together. Okay. And we've done this for a very, very long time, but. And but pause real quick. You said, you said DCU. So I explained yeah. the, the moniker and how the whole situation. Well, uh, so dance culture United is basically, so basically it's like the justice a, league. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I was just, right? I'm going to give it to you guys. But yeah. So explain what DCU is. And the sorry, go okay. yeah. <laughs> context people. You got to remember, <laughs> we know what we're talking about. We got to make sure for the, the who, right. who is the DCU thing? Is it from, is Superman in it? <laughs> Um, well, it was a concept that was brought up, I think, some time ago, actually. And now we've given it a bit of legs and given it a bit of an opportunity to, to have a little cross-pollination between a number of us who've uh, experienced quite a bit uh, in the culture, uh, but also um, have had dialogues both on the dance floor and in person uh, that allow for a, uh, a very, very poignant um uh, narrative, uh, under, oftentimes understated narrative, because there's always the origin story, right? And then now, <laughs> and how we arrived here uh, requires us to probably really understand the path that um, this culture has taken, and and who has participated in what way, and and how it has enhanced our lives, and and challenged our lives, and and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so on a weekly basis, we get together, we, we discuss some of these topics. Um, we've recorded two of those sessions, uh, which are currently available on uh, Facebook and uh, I think may also be available on SDL and other platforms. So stay tuned. Uh, also, the people who are involved um, in the movement, uh, like Brian, are our tenants in their communities. So you know, Corey is an incredible hip hop producer and, uh, you have Sammy who's, who's, uh, been a stalwart there in, in Boston for generations. Uh, be polite, um, is probably the most family first dancer I had ever seen when experiencing house dance in New York city. Um, and one of the few crews who, could stand the test of time and continuously grow their, their edicts, uh, over time. Um, uh, and so as we like have these discussions, um, Boren is in Germany and he is already hosting and talking and having a conversation about dance in general. Uh, I think he's coming back to the dance scene and coming out to events. Um, and but he has a, a unique view in that he had been living, you know, in Germany for some time and, uh, but had grown up originally in New Jersey and the New Jersey, New York scene and that crossover scene, um, and actually has preserved some of those, some, some of those aspects. Um, and yeah, Mike, uh, you know, 
has experienced, you know, dance fusion firsthand. He's experienced, um, and it continues to, to grow, um, uh, his music programs there in Italy. So it's, it's, it's fun to get together and talk and reminisce and do these things. But I think one thing that's very different about this particular group of gentlemen is that, um, at least personally, I find that, um, the conversation gets to the meat of how this culture has grown um, over these maybe some 15, 20, 20 some odd years. And I think those particular aspects are not documented. They're not spoken about. And um, so we're basing things on conjecture. And I think we need to, as a community, sort of stop doing that because it's really, really important. And also, hopefully these parts of the narrative will automatically hold people accountable versus just necessarily making accountability the next thing that we do without context. Yeah, no, that's a good thing. And so, yeah, we're having these conversations. Yeah, clear and doing yeah that's a good yeah, no, that's a good thing because one of the things talking to some of the younger dancers um, was their disconnect from a lot of the generations before them. So in and they don't necessarily get to hear like, you know, again, I, I lived in New York for 50 odd years. So I got to be around a lot of amazing dancers, hear a lot of good stories, be a part of a lot of good stories. So a lot of these dancers, they don't have that. And so, and then a lot of them don't, they might hear some of those stories, but nothing like, you know, detailed or documented or anything like that. Like, like this generation is like, you know, put it on a video or it didn't happen. Um, so like those types of conversations, like they're not around a lot of people that have been in to have that experiences. So hearing those types of stories will help in general. And I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to have you guys on and have those conversations like that, because, you know, we have these conversations all the time, but they don't. <laughs> and so when they hear it, they're kind of like, wait, wait, what? Like they, a lot of times. And again, what I found was a lot of the younger dancers, they're not necessarily ignorant to the fact. It's just more that they did. Someone didn't expose it to them or didn't show them. And so they didn't doubt they didn't have the intent. They didn't have the um, intention or the, the go getterness to find out. Well, that kind of sucks. But if you do show it to them or you do kind of lead them down a certain path, they'll start to do that due diligence. And well, some of them will and kind of do that. And I think. Uh, collectives like yours and starting to put that out more into the uh, public sphere is a good thing because these conversations need to be had, but then also in a way that people can hear them. Just, just, I don't don't want to say old dancers, but just people that have dance experience having a conversation about, you know, what, you know, uh, the shelter was like in a certain time period or being at a battle and and seeing this or whatever, or giving context to a video that they might've seen. And then all the backgrounds that was happening around it, like, a lot of those times, a lot of these younger dancers, they don't have that. And then so hearing these types of stories actually helps inform their dance because now they have a little bit more, one, respect, more context, and then a little bit clarity of where a lot of these things too, come from. And I think that's where we can kind of um, reconnect a lot of the Black experience into a lot of these dances. And also, okay. I think, to be clear, and also to come back to what we said earlier, is... Um, there's times, for example, like right now, where I, 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 no matter what I do, no matter how self-important or, or no matter how important somebody else may loud me at whatever particular point, I will never, ever be able to speak on Afro-Mosaic soul beyond my 
experiences of meeting them. It ends there. I have the privilege of knowing O'Brien and saying, hey, listen, this is what helped shape a lot of my dance because it has. And I can tell you how it shaped my dance, but you're only getting this much of the story. You need to find Brian and you need to get more of that because I want you to be more. I want the culture to be more than me or something that I have or whatever I've done. This is something that has been passed to us from lots and lots of people. And there's so much wealth in this community as a community. Okay. And thus those who put in certain types of work, you got to come to them. You got to listen. Yeah. And you got to act on that on their behalf. Well, and also too, you you remember that, that the, uh, like you just saying Afro-Mayak soul and like the type of group and what they're about, like that helps that aspect of it. Cause like, I think a lot of times when teachers are teaching, they're leaving out where they learned this step from or what this comes from and all that. And that, again, that just furthers that experience. Um, one of my favorite stories ever at crucial sessions was uh, I think Ijo was actually there. He just kind of popped up just hanging out. You know, he, he does his Ijo thing. Um, and so one of the younger dancers was like working on, I think it was like loose legs or something like that. And he asked Ijo, he's like, Hey man, I'm kind of figuring this out, blah, blah, blah. And Ijo was really gracious. Like, yeah, dude, you know, just think about this, you know, bop, bop, bop. So it was really cool. So I'm watching this interaction and I'm like, Oh, that's really cool. And then I'm, you know, I, I come back to the younger dancer later and I was like, Oh man, you know, Hey, you were just talking to Ijo. What were you talking about? He's like, Oh, I was asking about loose legs. just kind of showing me stuff. And it was just like, yeah, it was kind of cool. But it didn't look like this. And he pulled up his phone and it was another dancer on YouTube that was teaching loose legs. <laughs> but the context of his mind, because he got introduced to it from YouTube. So he didn't even understand that he was talking to Ijo, who was a house dance elder, that aspect of it. So his frame of reference for that particular step was a, a YouTube video. Now, to that to the point, the video actually was like, you know, roughly in the realm of good but still it's just funny that he was like his default was like oh well the video said this but this old black guy was like eh, i don't know which is right <laughs> but not having the understanding of that of like that that level is what i think is missing a lot of dancers too because that was the biggest thing i learned when i was in new york city i was like yo i was meeting all these elders all these people i go back to california i'm like no the new york elders and california so spread apart it's better now this is you know, circa late 2000s. But at that time, I would meet all these amazing, incredible dancers. And then people in California and the folks that would interact, they had no idea who these people were. Like they were more known in overseas in Asia or in Europe than they were in America. And that was the thing that was just such an annoying thing to me. And that, again, goes back to that disconnect of Black experience and us sharing who our elders are, how, you know, where these things come from and all that. Because if we don't do it, literally no one else is going to do it. And that's how that's how we get that um, that, that separation. I think an investment in our culture and a an investment in the culture, it's a little different than a reaction. Right now, most of these platforms like Facebook and Twitter they rely on a visceral reaction, reactionary thing. Somebody tweeted something that I didn't like. I must respond. And now I have the opportunity to someone put it a, a dance video and, and they were horrible. Uh, I, I gotta say something. I can't let this stand. 
But what they don't understand is, <laughs> yeah, you are making it stand. You know, YouTube algorithms include both thumbs up and thumbs down when pushing mm-hmm. videos forward. They don't care if it's all thumbs up. Yep. Same, same holds true for many of these other things. They'll garner additional attention, whether they are the worst instructional video on earth or something that could actually be, you know, people are awesome and something that people are actually doing something great. It's on us to be responsible with these platforms, be responsible with this culture and really take note of going forward. Are we really in it? Are we really building something and building on something that's been given to us freely in a way that this can carry forward and allow for growth and the maturation of, of our culture? Or are we feeding again, more of these kind of reactionary narratives? Because eventually if, if all we are, is just like, we're mad at everything, another dance will come and this whole thing will burn out. This has happened before. Yeah. So if we do want this thing to survive and we want the stories and the things that we love about this to be passed on to various generations, it's going to require an investment. It's going to require maybe a bit of an ego check, right? It's going to require us to speak as a community with each other and bring forward the tenets that allow this culture to exist way above and beyond our, our own edicts to be uh, um, lauded. Especially when it comes to street dance, like, you know, b-boying had a good start in the 80s where like they could they they like, you know, they said they had a whole thing. It's from this place. It was born here. This is the type of music. Bop, bop, bop. Like it was a very like direct thing to the point where it was like, you know, commercialized or whatever. But then as it started to fade from grace, um, it still had the basic tennis that people all knew about. Like they, and so for a lot of these other street dances, they don't have that. So it's like, it's very murky or it's very, the culture aspect of it is either if you really pay attention or you really ask somebody or you really go to the source. Um, and like, you know, house is a great example where it's like, you know, you know, the, the elders of house are known within the, the nerdy house community or New York, but outside of that, it's lesser known, like maybe a little bit here and there, but not as hardcore. And so I think the, the challenge that black America has when it comes to like our street dances is what Byron was saying too. It's like, we have to kind of get past the, the entertainment value of what our culture is. And I think a lot of times the people just, they just want that aspect of it, take that ball and run with it as opposed to like really understanding the full experience and everything else. And as things get more and more popular, unfortunately the black experience gets pulled away and pulled away and keeps pulling away. And on a micro sale, you're starting to see that with um, a lot of these like, TikTok challenges and and dances where you know the average black person will send me like oh have you seen this this uh this new dance by blah 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 and in my head I'm like that's literally five smaller dances put together in a routine not even done that well but it is by a black person and it's cool <laughs> but but that's the extent of a lot of your average black person's understanding of street dance and so you know to them when they see the the, the little white girl that has a million um, TikTok followers doing that exact same dance but then she gets all the fame they're just like wait a minute that's not right I'm like you guys know that's been happening literally forever <laughs> 
you're just seeing it now real time with all this technology. So now you're seeing it and you're not liking it. So now what do you want to do about it? Do you amplify other black dancers? Do you, you know, seek out them when they're doing that? And you're starting to see that a little bit more in, in um, entertainment where, you know, uh, artists that have some type of a, of a voice or something like that are starting to seek out these creators of these certain types of dances and all that, as opposed to just going straight to the, the white girl or, or the white boy that, you know, popularized it. So at least that's a small step. And I think the younger generation is starting to, you know, use their voice a little bit more to be like, hey, whoa, 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 this black person from this black area invented, quote unquote, invented that dance and make sure they amplify that. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's one of those things where it's the, the whole our whole conversation was more of as a mix of the solutions, a mix of the state of things, and then also like what can be do on, done about it. But also, I think just having that dialogue in general helps other people just kind of start to think about some of these aspects that you know they might not have thought of before. So um, I wanted to uh, thank you, brothers, for uh, hanging out with me. <laughs> well, I appreciate you. You know building and creating a platform like this that you know allows us to to build and to share uh with your audience and uh yeah man we're looking for i'm looking forward to definitely a lot more of my friends are fresh and other things you got going on because uh you've been putting in a lot of work and it is greatly appreciated yeah man thanks for thanks for coming on be polite byron uh this is cam my friends are fresh and i'm out peace Thank you once again to Byron Cox and Be Polite for geeking out with me and some dance-ish. Um, and also, you know, hopefully you guys learned something and, you know, maybe even further your um, discovery of different street dances and then how they affect black culture. I think one thing that I've noticed, you know, as things have been going on lately is, you know, a lot of black culture and black struggle has been kind of pulled away from the dance. And so hopefully conversations like these will start a little, spark a little bit more interest for people to actually learn a little bit more on the history aspect of it and then also too there's plenty of elders that are out there and people that actually have that knowledge that are still around still kicking still in ciphers and so i think the more that we can bridge that gap from the younger generation to the older one and i'm, I'm putting myself in this older generation now that i am in that uh, b-boys over 40 uh, category but i think that's something that we can spark a lot more conversation and you know continue it and hopefully on this podcast i can definitely do that and shine a little bit more light so thank you for uh, rocking with us and i'll see you again my friends are fresh is a mookie production produced recorded edited by cameron timor beats by prometheus jackson you can learn more at myfriendsarefresh.com you can hear more beats on instagram at prometheus jackson